Welcome to the Sounds of Encouragement, the place for creatives to find encouragement and support to help you stay motivated, creative, and inspired to use your craft to more fully impact your community. Thank you for tuning into this episode and don't forget to subscribe so you get notified of future episodes. If you find value in these podcasts, please share with friends or colleagues. To keep this production ad-free, please share your support at www.buymeacoffee.com encouragement and share a one-time gift or check out the member levels. I'm your host, Melissa Slocum, and I thrive on encouraging other creatives through teaching music, small business coaching, podcasting, and so much more. Find out more at www.musicgrow.com and subscribe to be part of a growing creative community supporting one another. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. And remember, I'm here for you so you can be there for those who need you the most. Enjoy the show. Welcome to part one of this two-part episode with my friend Lauren Best. This episode might be a little different than most episodes that I produce. This interview or this conversation is a bit like the creative life. It wanders a bit, we go down rabbit holes, we explore so many different topics in addition to encouragement. In some ways, this is like a meta discussion that talks not only about the practical and the daily stories of living, but also the philosophical and considers so many different questions that are relevant to our lives as creatives and as human beings. I hope that you will appreciate and enjoy this wonderfully deep conversation. I know for me, I described it as like a warm hug to have this type of wonderful conversation with a fellow creative where we could bat around ideas and just ask more questions than come up with answers. And this is part of what I love about doing this work is being able to explore questions in deep ways, which is part of what I so enjoyed about my conversation with Lauren. In this conversation, this first half, this part one, we talk not only about the creative life, but about birth, about grief and death, about our bodies and body movement and our voice, about social sharing and about not apologizing from the stage, and so, so much more. I hope that you will enjoy part one of this two-part podcast episode with Lauren Best. And when you finish with this episode, check out her websites. And don't forget to check out part two. Thanks for listening. Lauren Best lives where the Potawatomi River meets Georgian Bay on the territory of the Saugeen Ojibwa Nation, now known as Owen Sound, Ontario. She is an interdisciplinary creative with a multifaceted community arts practice, interweaving her work as a poet, musician, and composer creator. Lauren left her small Ontario town as a young singer-songwriter keyboardist and returned to become Poet Laureate Emeritus of Owen Sound in 2017-2019. to 2019. 
Lauren is included alongside other poets laureate emeritus in the city of Windsor's South Shore Collection series, A Manor of Words, Poetry at the Manor 10th Anniversary Anthology. Her poems are also published in Spike, Poems in the Time of Pestilence. Lauren's 2010 chapbook, Resound, R-E colon sound, is a collection of lyrics written in Owen Sound between 2004 and 2008. Lauren's music has been heard coast to coast since her debut album release in 2011, and she's collaborated across genres and art forms with work in music, poetry, theater, film, and digital media. During more than a decade of community-engaged arts, Lauren has partnered across sectors spanning education, cognitive neuroscience research, healthcare, social service, and cultural organizations. In 2022, she teamed up with Seattle-based saxophonist Steve Tressler to create the Infinite Improvisation Podcast. Lauren's new performance pieces combine poetry from her first full-length poetry book, Just Leaves, released in 2023, set within a soundscape of keyboard and vocal improvisation paired with lyric melodies. Please welcome my guest, Lauren Best. Welcome to the Sounds of Encouragement. I am your host, Melissa Slocum, and you just heard a little bit about my guest, Lauren Best. Lauren, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this because uh, we know each other through a mutual friend, Steve Tressler. Thank you, Steve, for all your great work too. But you and Steve started um, a podcast together and um, about improvisation. And I was really enjoying uh, that particular project and that podcast, but that was start. That was how I got to know a little bit more about you and your work. Uh, and then, of course, you came out with your book of poetry, Just Leaves, which we're going to talk about today. And as I've just gotten to know a little bit more of your work, I was so excited about talking to you not only about your work but about what keeps you positive and moving forward and how you've stayed encouraged through um you know so many things going on in the world with the pandemic and and things in our personal lives too and i know you've you've gone through a lot as well so i'm really excited to dive into this conversation today i really like to start with what encouragement looked like in the past for you and I like to learn a little bit about who were the encouraging people in your life? What were those encouraging pivotal moments? And what did that look like for you when you were, you know, maybe growing up or going through school or as a creative and as an artist? What have been those people and those moments of encouragement for you? Mm, I loved uh you know, I, knowing that this question would come up in this podcast and listening to some of your previous episodes, I just loved having a chance to to think about that and return to some of those moments, both in terms of feeling what it's like to remember people who helped me along the way and, you know, to think, wow, guess it was worth it. Here I am today, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, to think think about those 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 small bits that really add up um, mm -hmm. to something larger and then, um, you know, help me try to have positive impact on other people. Um, and so I was particularly thinking um, 
as a voice coach, people who have helped me with my voice along the way um, as a singer, as a podcaster, mm-hmm. um, as a communicator, right? That's, yeah. uh, I guess my dad said, I never met a mic I didn't like. <laughs> I guess I've always had a, you know, <laughs> been able to, 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 to get right up and close with the microphone and to, yeah. to, to sing or to, um, to speak or to, uh, to, to speak with people I, I don't know very well, but it hasn't always been easy, right? Like just because I always had that willingness. Sure. Um, you know, we, it, it might be called a willingness to suffer a little bit, right? Like a willingness <laughs> sure. to, it's a, it's a willingness to have the thrill of visibility, right? In yeah. a performance or, but even just in a conversation, right? Yeah. Sharing about myself and my journey, even if it's not a recorded podcast conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a willingness to have the thrill of that, but also a willingness to have the discomfort and to make mistakes and yeah. to keep, you know, growing and learning especially when we're at these stages where we see where we want to go and we're not quite there yet so we need to continue on despite knowing that um what we're hoping for what we're aiming for that we're that it hasn't yet been achieved and that um that can be tough if it's something that we care a lot about uh so i was i was thinking very much about how it's taken so many people along the way to mm-hmm. get me to this point where I mean I've been a voice coach for a long time I've I've definitely been able to help empower people vocally um, while I've still been learning Um, you know even when I was still a high school student I was doing things to um, around interactive arts and around organizing groups of people together and organizing organizing concerts and organizing acapella singing groups and things like that Um, but I was still very much in my own learning and I needed so much help after that too Uh, so you know from the the vocal coaches and teachers and um, and music teachers and you know people who helped me with songwriting and piano and uh all those people contributing to my musical journey when I was still a young person and mm-hmm. I've helped young people with their musical journeys now. And I know that it's, it takes patience, right? It's a, it's yeah. a long game. It takes yeah. a, it takes a True. long time to encourage young people. And so I'm so glad <laughs> people that people invested in me for that, for that, mm-hmm. that long game, particularly my parents, of course. Yeah. Um, but especially uh, more experienced vocalists and actors and uh, some of, of what really helped me along the way wasn't necessarily a music teacher. It was sometimes in the theater and mm. improvisation world. Sure. Um, it was sometimes classroom teachers who I was working with as a teaching artist or, or you know, artist in the classroom. Um, and I was also thinking how sometimes it was people who weren't necessarily connected to my creative journey in in the creativity although collaborators also comes up you know the line between collaborator and mentor is not always a distinct line as well right right Um, but I was also thinking about um, like body workers of different Mm. kinds who've who've helped helped put pieces of the puzzle together and I, I, I really see that as an important form of encouragement because uh, when your body isn't supporting your creativity the way you want it to, yeah. it can it can really be inhibiting um, or a source of suffering, right? And mm-hmm. knowing that being able to help figure out what was going on in some cases, I've had some bouts of tendonitis and mm-hmm. um, 
that's been top of mind lately. <laughs> and some of that didn't have anything to do with music. It, you know, it had to do with um, postpartum tendonitis and having, you know, and having right. a baby and typing right. and, right. and, you know, walking a dog and driving stick shift and doing yeah. all kinds yeah. of other cooking and all kinds of other things, but mm-hmm. it really impacted my creativity yeah. or my, my, um, my creativity, but also my craft, right? Right. Like, right. Um, and it can feel frightening and discouraging and you aren't sure how, what to do. Like you aren't sure how much you can keep um, asking your body to work for you and your creativity versus how much you need to just tend to it or give it, a, you know, give it some time. And yes. so having expertise of people who weren't necessarily musicians themselves or creatives themselves, mm-hmm. but were there to support me and to let me know that it's not, you know, it's not something I need to let um, kind of pull me down or weigh on me. It's something that can can be understood and mm-hmm. can be worked on. I'm so glad you bring this up about body work and, and movement because it seems like this is becoming more emergent in, at least in, in our industry of musicians and musician, mm-hmm. musicianship. I'm not sure how much it's in the overall creative landscape uh, because I have also been exploring um, how to heal a rotator cuff injury um, Mm -hmm. with my, uh, I'm not doing traditional medicine and surgery. I'm exploring, you know, have had a lot of other great options. And so as part of my recovery, I'm also rehabbing all of my technique and working with a great Talman teacher for piano. And just last night, I did a Feldenkrais movement class with a wonderful expert. And so I am also in this space where I'm realizing, you know, years and years and years of creative work does take a toll on us physically. And I don't think we talk about that very much. And it's interesting because then Mm -hmm. also this morning, I just had a reminder too from another colleague who talked about the creative work and how wonderful it is, but how physically taxing it is on a person you know, in their body, um, whether it's mm-hmm. singing opera and being into the emotional, mental headspace of the character, and then the physical toll that that takes mm-hmm. on the body. Uh, and I, I don't think that's something that we really recognize very much. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think we are starting just now to figure out and discover that this attention to our physical bodies is so, so important. We can't abuse them forever. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you bring up the uh, opera world because I think I was introduced to a deeper level of body awareness and of body care through the theater world as opposed mm-hmm. to through the music world. Yeah. Um, which now as a and I say this not as a criticism for the musical experiences I had, but now as a facilitator, practitioner, you know, coach, I think that voice is a movement practice. Yeah. <laughs> because it is a movement practice. I think, yeah. you know, music is movement practice. It's integral. Yeah. Like we are hardwired for singing and sound making and mimicry and for movement in the same ways. And it's, um, it's, it, it can be very intuitive. It can, on one hand, be more intuitive than people think. It can mm. be, um, like I said, more hardwired than yeah. 
I think a lot of people believe who who maybe aren't who maybe don't have as much musical experience as they would like. They I think they don't realize how close it is to being able to just reach out and take for themselves or yeah. by take for themselves. I mean, experience and you know right, enjoy right, themselves. Right. But yeah. by but I mean, claim. Yeah, um, because it is very intuitive. But then on the other hand, um, like the we can really expand our awareness and we can really um, solve or influence or um you know it's not like oh my technique solved right but we can right, right. we can really change what we're doing so that we yeah. aren't um we aren't necessarily at as much risk or that we can mm-hmm. have more resilience or that we can um just we can just train for what we want right like just like we can yeah. train and I know I know you know this but I've 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 been not coming from an athletic background I've been so interested to learn about uh, the idea of athletically training for more specific things, which mm-hmm. I kind of knew, but I hadn't really thought a lot about. Like I knew you could strength train, of course, right? right. But I right. didn't. I wasn't thinking to myself like, "Am I training strength? Am I training power? Am I training speed? Like, what am I training here?" In the same yeah. way as I would have thought of those sort of things musically or creatively. Um, and so I find it so um, interesting to to be able to think about training and improving ourselves, right? In ways that have nothing to do with talent, <laughs> just yeah. have to do with getting our body, um, uh, being able to support us in the way we want it to, right? So we support our body, it supports us. Because um, I've, I've found it's not always necessarily like, oh, I'm doing all this grueling work and I hurt myself because I'm just, you know, yeah. working so hard. There have been yeah. times where, yeah. where it is because I'm, doing more physical output or trying to do it too quickly in a compressed Mm -hmm. time because I don't Mm -hmm. I'm feeling short on time so I'm I'm sometimes literally just acting in a rushed and tensed way right in in in, in subtle in subtle ways I'm straining or I'm pushing or I'm Mm -hmm. I'm holding clenching (laughs) um um, but sometimes it's just I'm having too much fun (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's that you know like I was preparing for a gig and I and so I played a bunch of guitar and I had such a great time I you know I was I was like oh I haven't practiced like this in so long this feels great like I'm tired but that's okay because wow this is great but like taking it a little too far you know and and because I either haven't trained to then have that much fun like like what people say when they play play like a pickup game of hockey and then they're having a hard time right you haven't been training to have fun Um, (laughs) or because I haven't you know because I wasn't acting with awareness and subtlety um and in my own practice as a as a coach or facilitator or teacher, I find so often and what I learn from by helping other people with, it's about mm-hmm. exploring subtlety more, um, be, taking time to to see what happens when we slow down, when we notice more, when we expand our awareness, right, when we right. decrease the demands right. so that we can um, really have in the end a fuller experience, not yes. just to not just to not hurt ourselves or not right. just to make ourselves be able to work more. Right. Because yeah. um, like, that's something important to think about too. Like how, how much do I want to expect of my body and right. of my, and right. of, and my mind too, right. In my career, my creative practice. And what do I want to plan for, you know, like doing poetry readings is a lot, lot less demanding for me than practicing guitar or, or piano on a physical preparation level. 
Sure. Um, yeah, it is. That gives us a, a more whole, more uh, rich and more um, embodied, joyous experience, I think, yeah. to be able to, to work with that, that subtlety and awareness. You know, there are so many intersections and one of them that I wanted to kind of circle back around to, I've heard a lot of creatives uh, who have talked about, um, a lot of creatives have a very similar story in their life, not all, but, but a lot. And it goes back to encouragement. And you mentioned, you know, looking back on life, you can see all the people and all the moments of encouragement, you know, from parents to teachers to voice teachers and things like that. But was there ever a moment as you were, you know, growing up and going to school or even choosing a major in college or doing whatever you were doing where somebody said, you know, this isn't going to really sustain you. This isn't really going to work. You can't create a life doing this. Did anyone ever kind of give you that and and kind of force you to question, can I really do this and make a living? Hmm, so sort of the opposite of encouragement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of in terms of raising doubts. Yeah. I mean, I think that's happened so many times. I wouldn't think of one pivotal moment. Yeah. I think that uh, it's I, I especially because I started very young in mm-hmm. terms of performing. I mean, it's it's all relative, but it's not like I was a full-on grown-up like (laughs) sure of where I was going and then I started like you know doing poetry and music and so uh I think actually quite often um if I'm chatting with people people would would say things like well there's no money in that or oh you know that's so rewarding (laughs) it's not a very stable career but that's so wonderful yeah or (laughs) or like or they'll have a story about a family member or a friend who who you know oh my you know like my my brother played drums for a while and his band toured but you know he had a family to support or like or like you know it just got like there's just and I often think whether people who are in other um careers or who aren't other uh who who aren't creatives get that kind of feedback on yeah. <laughs> like I just I just have been told so often that there's no money in it it's right. hard yeah. um I, I mean in some in some ways I wish I could go back in time and be like oh well I've had a career and support myself and my family and <laughs> it's funny right. to say that because I know so many people who are able to mm-hmm. you know exist and and be be in this world but I think I think also people open up to me in ways that are vulnerable as well as much as I mm-hmm. as I get some surprising comments I, I still actually have had people directly say that they don't think there'd be much demand or much need for voice coaching and I'm like oh wow single person has yeah we yeah. all have voices yeah, yeah. <laughs> every person <laughs> um which you know, it's a way to like, actually, that's good. Like that particular comment, I, I found it doesn't bother me because I don't need to convince someone who says that to me otherwise. Right. 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 Um, it's like I I'm I'm OK with not convincing everyone of what yeah. I know <laughs> or, yeah. or feel. And I'm, I'm, of course, happy to have happy to have conversations about it and happy to learn. Right. Yeah. Um, I've also had feedback that uh, was 
insensitive, harsh. Sure. In some cases may have had some truth in it. Right. Like sometimes you get feedback on your creative work. Yeah. That is true for that person. Yeah. But is um, or is like in some ways could be helpful. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, communicated in a way that is not helpful. Not kind. It's just rude. Right. (laughs) It's just rude and not and not very kind. Um, And sometimes it's been for people who. Uh, like could have easily been more kind mm. i actually had someone yeah. once say that not directly to me but that it was the wrong voice singing the wrong music and i think they said something else was wrong too <laughs> but i think that having <laughs> some of that sort of like maybe you just shouldn't do this feedback right because like yeah. i have had some feedback that is kind of kind of along those lines and i think I've also had feedback from people that is equally or more effusively positive. Yes. Um, And I think especially over a long span of time, right? There's been times where I've had effusively positive feedback that I don't even believe myself just as I may have not, whether some of the negative feedback, did I believe it? Did I not? Yeah. Was it helpful? Was it not? It's it's a little hard to say, right? Because um, yeah. I also know that some negative feedback I've received, like I improved a lot, but some of that positive feedback sure. too, especially over time. And like, you know, you as an educator, facilitator, like, you know, you've definitely made an impact on people. Yeah. Um, and it starts to be so much. You can't, you can't ignore the positive right. side right. of, of exactly. what you're hearing as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I think that's a great kind of segue into that next question about where where do you discern or how do you discern someone's expectation or a layer of expectation when you're you're not sure if you're hearing their encouragement to do something uh, and it's true encouragement or if if there's a layer of expectation kind of you know, rolled into Mm. that encouragement. Cause I know I've had situations where I I hear something and I'm like, Oh, that's really encouraging. And then an hour later, I'm like, no, that's not encouraging. at all. (laughs) It's really just someone else placing another expectation on me of what they want me to do. And I've had to really Mm. work to kind of navigate that or discern that. Have you had that happen? And if so, how have you discerned that, that difference? Hmm. Well, I realized I don't need to be all things to all people, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I real I realized that it, you know, people may want me to be things I don't want to be to them, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and that it can be, you know, it it can be complimentary, right? Mm-hmm. If someone wants you to, and so I think I've had to relearn this many times. Mm. Um, I used to do more, uh, or I used to do some freelance you know, communications, arts administration kind of thing, right? Sure, and you sure. and I reached a point in my career journey, creative journey, where it just didn't make logistical sense because I had other things I was doing. And mm-hmm. I realized to continue doing that work, even if it really helped the people I was working with, even if it helped me in some ways. Right. It meant I wasn't able It meant I wasn't able to do as much direct teaching or facilitation or, you know, and and then at other seasons in my life, you know, doing one on one teaching has meant I'm not able to do as much group teaching or as as much writing and and creative work or, you know, it's I've 
it's taken time to realize that I need to decide and that may require saying no sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's tricky, right? You know, because there have been times where I really, especially I think in a creative career, you it means so much and you want to be able to share that as much yes. as possible, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because you for for me, I know the positive impact, like I've talked about, yeah. that I've that I've experienced myself. Um and it, it helps me speak about what I do very in, in passionate ways. I'm happy to talk to people about it because mm-hmm. I I believe that creativity and music and especially voice work um, is just really like integral to being able to discover more about who we are, to being able to connect more with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was talking about, to sort of allow for greater understanding and greater richness of experience and whether that is for personal private reasons or whether that is to be in a better mood and (laughs) to feel more energized for those around us or whether that's to get up on stage because we want to challenge ourselves and it's really hard and it's Mm -hmm. going to be something that's like a pressure cooker to help us or whether it's to get on stage because we want to be on stage with friends or be in theater production you know there there are so many different right but I believe that there's like a fundamentally enriching um thing we got going on here (laughs) and so it's tough not to engage in the ways I might be asked to engage and to have to pick and choose what is strategic when um especially with changes in my business um changes my creative focus Mm -hmm. changes in the amount of time I have right or my financial situation like at different times I have to make make different choices and I think I think moving to teaching online and then staying online and not not returning to teaching in person. Um, I still do some I still will do events and workshops and things like that. But I felt a tension where people were not happy about the idea Mm -hmm. of people staying online. Like there's there's this kind of like pushback and and I really saw and felt it that like they wanted me to not be online you know yes they 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 wanted something different you know and I wasn't I was gonna do what I was gonna do because there's there were other people who weren't online if that's where if that's what they wanted and if even though it was a little easier to see when it was something that wasn't uh, as integral to sort of the purpose behind my work right Mm -hmm. where where I was like this is a logistical detail that you care a lot about (laughs) right Right. and I care (laughs) enough about because like I'm making choices for an overall business strategy right and and, you know what is personally viable for me yeah you know I, I love that you talk about uh and mention that you you have come to a place where you know you don't have to be all things to all people because I think in order to get mm-hmm. to that place, you do have to know who you are and what you're here to do and be clear about what your voice is and what it's meant to be used for and what it's not meant to be used for. Because if you don't have that clarity and if you don't have that level of understanding about yourself, like if you haven't done that work, you know, mm-hmm. I, in your own identity and, and if you haven't done some of that work around, you know, what am I here to do and what is my purpose? What is the point mm-hmm. for this moment? 
or even for the next 10 minutes, uh, you know, if you haven't done that and explored that, then, then yeah, you're going to try and please everybody. And that's, that's the, I think part of the mentality for a lot of creatives and artists is that they have to be mass marketable and everything has to be scalable and everything has to be, you know, appeal to everybody and palatable for everyone. And I'm sort of like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, that's not me, first of all. Um, but I think that's mm -hmm. what sets you apart. Like a lot of other creatives that I know is that you are not willing to sacrifice your craft for some notion of scalability or mass marketability or some type, some who knows what, whether it's fame or money or success or whatever. It seems to me that you do have a clarity and a knowing about yourself, about what you're here to do and what you're meant to do. Maybe not for your whole life, but at least for this phase of your life. Hmm. Well, I really appreciate that. It doesn't always feel that way. I know. I know. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes it feels like the sacrifice comes on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that is part of the the beauty in it like I was kind of saying like the thrill and the suffering yeah. <laughs> um, it's both sort of part of it um, it's it doesn't always feel like I have that much clarity like you describe however when I I think that drives me to do the best I can to sort of be clear enough to be al aligned or I mean I do think about some of the things you mentioned mm -hmm. but again it's to a point, right? Yeah. And and yeah. balancing that with my other priorities and with the with the purposes I have. Right. Um so it's a it's a bit of both, I think. I think it's um sacrificing enough that things can continue to make sense for me, <laughs> right? Yes. Um right. in terms of lots of different things. I mean, there's just there's so many ways to create and ways yeah. to produce and ways to um right. connect and put things out there. And so I believe that if I do that in a way that is, I wouldn't use the word authentic. Like I'm not thinking, how can I be most authentic? Yeah. But like I kind of figure yeah. out what I need to prioritize and what I'm willing to sacrifice on both sides and then try to kind of walk down the middle of that, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in yeah. terms of, yeah. And, and I think when you were, you were talking about, about being clear on our voices and I think actually working with, people with their physical voices mm -hmm. um i've noticed that it's never just about the physical voice right it often has to do with well why are you even here with me getting my help for your voice yeah. it's already your voice yeah you know you can so so why are you here with me and sometimes that in the first place requires some figuring out and so i really it's really my talk think about who's encouraged me like it's really been such a gift the people who have allowed me to encourage mm. them or who have yeah. come to me for encouragement. Um, because I mean, I notice things in myself, but it also, I notice things kind of in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I notice, yeah. I notice things that, um, may not be exactly parallel to my own journey, but really influence my way of being. And, um, and as you were saying, sometimes that's around what am I expecting of my voice and when I say that, I, that could be the physical voice, but that could be my creative voice or that could right, even right. be like my inner voice. Like, right. how do I even expect myself to think and talk to myself, you know, yeah. or and it can be our, you know, my, the way I'm speaking. And as I perceive that mm -hmm. um, and as the obvious the person who is listening perceives it, but those are not also not right, the same, right. <laughs> not right. the same things. Right. Um, and so so clarifying, like, 
what are what expectations do I have around the kinds of sounds I make and the kinds of things I say with those sounds, whether that's like emotionally conveyed, right? Or whether yeah. it's like through the actual words. Um because you can you can make whatever sounds you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like what do you make those mean and what does everyone else make those mean? So 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 that can, you know, that can be about style and yeah. or that could be about technique or that could be about uh, production and you know and recording process or that can be about it can be about song selection or it can be about writing the song or it can be about writing I find people want to talk to me about podcasting about <laughs> sure, sure about sure you know about their their writing projects right? and their yeah. their voice um as a writer mm-hmm. um and, and poetry of course <laughs> yeah you know I love <laughs> so this I find, I find it Yeah, I love the way you think because, and this is part of why I wanted to talk to you because I'm I'm sort of the same way. And I'm like, am I the weirdo? Is it just me that thinks about these things? (laughs) Because there is a sense of playfulness, not judgment, but there's a sense of playfulness that I, that I get from you about all these things where, you know, you're, it's, it comes from a seat of curiosity. It comes from a seat of what can we discover? What can we learn? What can I be open to? You know, and I feel the same way, you know, when you mentioned being encouraged by the people we serve, you know, I had an experience last Friday with a seven-year-old and I was like, well, gosh, I walked away from that lesson. I think a better person, you know, because of a seven-year-old, you know? And so I love that that is something that you are also aware of and that you think about and that you are, are willing to say, I'm creating this space that is open and free from judgment. And we're just, we're just going to be curious. We're going to ask questions. We're going to play. We're going to explore. Where does this come from? We're going to just ask good questions and have fun as opposed to Hmm. follow some, pedagogy, not saying pedagogy is bad, but follow some strict procedural thing, right? Or, or have to be locked mm-hmm. into, I, this has to be done this way. Like, this is how teaching is. This is mm. how this vocal work is or, or whatever. I love that you're just so much more open and so playful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been hard one. <laughs> and I say yeah. that, I think I do have, I think I do have a, a sort of I think some of that is out of the box like I do think I do yeah. have or at least you know from my like upbringing or from from my experiences I think there and, and that includes actually maybe not totally out of the box like through both creative experiences and, and other experiences I think that that there is a certain energy and playfulness that that either comes naturally to me or I love to tap into however the opposite I, th- I thought to myself last night or maybe I heard it or read it somewhere that uh no I did I read it I read it somewhere but it really stuck with me and that is I am a paradox not a contradiction oh yes and that the 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 equal opposite to yes. the playfulness and curiosity yeah um can be and I don't often talk about this because of course I want to encourage others I don't you know yeah. it's it can be you don't want to tell them the world of music is full or the world of right. you know voice exploration or even personal development right is right. um you know full of embarrassment and you know anxiety right. around your right. progress and wondering whether there is just some inherent flaws that you can never overcome and you know and and a certain level of despair of being mm-hmm. like well i just need to recognize that like 
I kind of suck. And like, yeah. that's just something I'm going to have to <laughs> come to yeah. terms with. And yeah. just like, there, there could be a lot there. It just yeah. really like nasty in my mind. You know? Yeah. But I, I find actually, I know this has been true for myself. Um, the, the most hopeful, encouraging stuff, whatever that might be, is hard one because you cannot have that or that cannot exist. Light cannot exist without darkness. So mm-hmm. for me, the hope, the encouragement, the positivity doesn't exist without having had trauma without having had suffering without having had other experiences in life and that Hmm. i think rings true for a lot of people who are some of the most encouraging and hopeful and light giving and life-giving people that i know they have also gone through some really great suffering and some great trauma um you know and that kind of leads me into the next question too about 2020 pandemic life. Um, Mm -hmm. we, we lost so much as a world and, um, Mm. obviously was a hard, hard time for a lot of people. What kept you creative? How did you, how did you keep moving forward? How did you stay positive through 2020? How did you get through that time in your life? Hmm. Well, you know, before you asked that question, I was thinking about what you said about sort of the playfulness, mm. perhaps being, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if the opposite would be the word I'm looking for, but a counterpoint to the procedural or strict experiences mm-hmm. that, that people have, um, or, and, and specifically have had around music. And I hear this a yeah. lot from people, yeah. <laughs> including people who I've just met, speaking, how I was saying that people are often very vulnerable about their mm-hmm. musical experiences with me as a stranger when they, when they, first meet me because I think in many cases people have been waiting oh, sure. years yeah. to tell someone yeah. there's a part of me that I lost and left behind because of you know the piano teacher that told my right. mom I didn't have any potential when I was in kindergarten or the teacher right. that told me to mouth the words and not sing or um, you know hearing people well with this time but what I was going to say actually is that the opposite of that is then the the hope that comes from that hearing people say that they start I was at a choir camp this summer and I was uh, I um, was doing some leadership and giving some some uh, some talk some workshops and some some coaching um, and hearing people say that they for you know difficult painful reasons did not sing until they were in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s and then they came back to singing and there they were singing with people of all different levels being you know conducted by professional conductor Mm -hmm. having now at this point you know someone told me that they hadn't you know hadn't come to singing until their 30s but then they're telling me this having now sung for 30 years you know (laughs) and that people are able to after having, you know, after having that heartbreak really around their creativity or their, their body, their body's capability, their voice, you know, their dreams, their enjoyment, right. Their, and, and their ability to be with other people in creativity and music, um, that, that was all able to change for them. Yeah. Um, and some of the most devoted singers I know are people who have come to it later. Um, and so thinking about, 
I, I, when you said that, I, I said, ah, I wonder, because I often feel that I need to be very loud about the revolution in music education that I think <laughs> yes. we are experiencing, which really yeah. is just a coming, is just a letting a, not throwing it all out, but letting it yeah. go as the only way yeah. <laughs> um, that I think it was sometimes implied or directly told to people in the past. I think that's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and kind of a coming back to, as I was saying before, the innateness of music and creativity. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, would I be as excited about that and as loud about that? And would I, you know, have invested with the same kind of sort of grit, like a bit of a digging my heels in, in investing in my own creativity, if it wasn't for having had some of those more stricter procedural experiences, yeah. as well as having really remarkably creative experiences as a young person that many people don't get to have. And I'm yeah. very blessed and very privileged to have had those experiences. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, right? Yeah. And I wonder for 2020, because I think I already had a lot of uh, uh, opinions and thoughts around that, right? <laughs> um, and I'm not saying it's just rebellion, right? But it kind of does, it, there is, you know, being um, a little oppositional to to sort of entrenched authority, right? Or uh, mm -hmm. questioning and wondering and saying, hmm, could this be different, <laughs> right? Like who is being served and who is yeah. benefiting? Um, and I was, I'd already had some experiences that had left me sort of, sort of a bit shaken, right? Thinking, um, you know, like, who do we turn to as allies, as individual creators? Like, yeah. do we keep trying to make it work in the nonprofit world? Do we keep trying to make it work in the for-profit world? Do we, you know, is like, what are, where are the answers? <laughs> and I think that despite the there was a lot with the pandemic. There was a lot that yeah. for me personally that wasn't related to lockdown or to, to, to kind of what was happening in the world, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it happens to be happening at the same time for me. And I, I think that, you know, the backdrop and it was, of course it was foregrounded for all of us, but kind of, I couldn't have it always be foregrounded. So letting right. that become a backdrop Right. And then having had some of these experiences that have been sort of shaky, right, in terms of purpose and creativity and and the powers that be, right? I I think I think it did help in a way because uh, I needed to find a, more of a, a steady core, mm -hmm. right? So I think I think it helped with connecting with people, with people who were further away, literally further away. We wouldn't be having this conversation if not for Steve. Exactly. Steve yeah. has been a very encouraging person and yeah. a really like wonderful collaborator. We yeah. definitely met specifically because of all that, right? Because yeah. of of sort uh, a different kind of emergent culture around that would that yeah. has that was already existing, but you know, changed and mm -hmm. and things started to to really come together in a different way and um yeah and you know remote collaboration was happening before I was doing it before but I still I don't think that Steve and I would have necessarily found each other and started the improvisation podcast yeah had it not been for that um 
And I mean, again, that was that was not necessarily at the beginning, but I see, oh, like it kind, you know, things things led there, right? Some of the big yeah. changes, as I was talking about in my own my own business practice, which is part of my creative practice, um, and my, as I for professional practice, that's the that's the term okay. I was looking for. Okay. Um, because <laughs> um, I see I see business and entrepreneurship as a as a creative journey as well, right? That's why I said my you know my business practice in terms of that creative journey, mm-hmm. also like my professional practice in terms of right. how I serve people, right? right. Um, yeah, it's it all tied together. I think on a very simple level, it was also my family, my kids, yeah. um, connecting to nature a lot, connecting to reconnecting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I was pregnant in 2020. <laughs> so that was, you know, that it, yeah. it was a, it was a time of like literally reconnecting yeah. to not only myself, but to like the women and people who have brought us to this point of being um, quite dramatically for me where I was better situated in terms of my knowledge and my support systems and um, the statistical chances that I would die in childbirth you know, yeah. all like I was in a really good position compared to so many women in the past. Yeah. Um, and it was it, that was actually a bit of an awakening around. I'd had postpartum tendonitis before that um, with my eldest. And I'd kind of thought at that time, why don't we talk about this? Like we're, yeah. you know, I, I know because I've, I've done a, a lot of early childhood music and singing with babies and moms. And I thought I haven't really had conversations about this with other moms but i i learned that some of the um the hormonal changes in our body tend to increase swelling and so it really like increases the chances that people get um tendonitis or similar similar issues and i thought wow this is this is weird that this was yeah. actually a simple solution a common problem and why didn't i know anything about it yeah and i've actually since talked to um to pianists who know many other pianists who also experienced postpartum tendonitis. Oh, wow. Like when they had their babies, that's when they started realizing yeah. or, you know, old, or old injuries would flare up. Right, I mean, I know right. a lot of musicians in general mm-hmm. who've had these issues. Yeah. Um, so I'd already kind of had some of those thoughts, but then 2020, having my second pregnancy, it was a whole other awakening. And yeah. it was a bit more of a sense of why aren't people more pissed off? Like, how do I walk through the world knowing how much, like, how much women and children and therefore everyone, because everyone came from someone who birthed them. um, And that, you know, it really struck me that the majority of people who I was, who I, I would be talking to about this would either have their own difficult experiences or would have had in their own birth, their mother may have, you know, had a difficult experience. And if not, mm-hmm. they know someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself, I had a, I had in some ways very idyllic experiences, but it just really made me more aware, right, yeah. um, of the tremendous injustice that has happened in the past, well, for a very long time. But um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about that these days, but I think, yeah, I know that's not very encouraging. You're asking what no, encouraged no, me I, during the pit. No, I, but I, I, I think, appreciate that. No, I appreciate that because I remember, um, when lockdowns happened here, um, I was, a, you know, my, my kids were, um, middle school and high school and my daughter in Girl Scouts and I, and I was a Girl Scout leader. And I remember being online with my Girl Scout leaders and my Girl Scouts in those first weeks, first couple of weeks. And I said, um, this event in our lives is going to shine a light on so many inequalities. And you're gonna start to see things unravel. And th that's, you know, that's just how things will play out. And it's not like I'm some, you know, all knowing, you know, fortune telling anything. It's just, I knew that this level of experience around the globe was going like, we were going to see some stuff as a result of mm -hmm. lockdowns and, and health. I knew healthcare, I knew race, I knew, um, socioeconomics. I knew a lot of things were going to start to really bubble up. Um, just, I just know that as a student of history and, and social change and sociology. And so a lot of people were like, ah, no, it's not going to be so bad. And I was like, maybe not for you. Maybe not mm. for you. But I agree with you. Mm. I think that we did get quite a few lenses clarified mm -hmm. during that time during the pandemic where we we got more light shown on different things that um you know we we needed to be aware of and needed to mm -hmm. to wrestle with and that we're still wrestling with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah and i think it from like in that specific example i gave i mean it it gave me a chance to do things differently and to change things around you know, really integral things to how we eat as a family and how we talk about food and interact with food and um, some big changes, some, you know, slow, more subtle changes. And mm -hmm. how I, you know, my, as I was saying, my relationship to, because my relationship to birthing changed yeah. and my relationship to mothering changed, my relationship yeah. to other mothers and birthers changed, and my relationship to my own mother and my grandmothers and mm. and my understanding of um of community and community around children it was a lot of learning really quick and it was it was bumpy at times and then there were there's also a lot of there's a lot of grief in the world mm -hmm. but we had um some deaths in the family and yeah. deaths in the community um in 2020 and also in the, this past year yeah maybe in 2022 and 23 i can't think right now whether yeah. those were those were big big uh grief years but yeah i think the process of grief is also uh, a teacher and creates a richer experience of love and presence and um and uh a deeper attenuation to those cycles of birth and death and um like 
and and I often people will say that they experience death differently around the time of being pregnant or giving birth or mm-hmm. just that they have a big death in their life happen mm-hmm. or you know a, a big a big grief process around that yeah. time yeah um and those things certainly like it's not like there was like a snap of you know like a magic encouragement here and a magic encouragement right, right, there right. but this there this sort of the shades and colors that that I was experiencing through that time um were big teachers and there is you know there's definitely it wasn't just 20, 2020 right it took a long yeah. time right yeah. i think yeah i think for myself at least i sometimes want grief to be quick and perfect right you know and efficient yeah. and yeah. grief is not efficient no grief not at takes all. its time yeah yeah well <laughs> and, and, and uh, not only do we want it to be efficient um and to be over but a lot of us would rather just ignore it and push it away rather than actually embrace it and try to learn from it so i love how you use the word teacher uh as you express uh what you've gone through um because I think when we're when we're constantly pushing it away, that's where again we get these physical symptoms. When we're when we're pushing the grief down, when we're pushing it away, it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> Our bodies are so great at holding on to yeah. grief and anxiety and stress and and despair. And uh, I love that mm-hmm. you have been able. Uh, for me, that's where the positivity or the encouragement comes in, though, is that you're able to say this has something to teach me. I'm, I don't know what it is, Mm. but I'm going to be open to it. And I'm going to allow myself to move through the process, however long it takes, no matter what it looks like, Mm. I'm going to move through it. Um, and, and that takes a lot of courage. Mm. Hmm. Well, I think my, my body didn't give me a choice. It's like, it's interesting. You say that. I don't think I've, I don't think I've talked about this publicly before, but I found that times where I thought, oh, like I'm done with grieving. That's, I did that. Grief is done. Good. Mm. You know, I found there were times where I would have, like, I would say, oh, like I'm not sad. I'm not depressed. There's nothing traumatic is bothering me at all. There's just no reason why I can tell I'm in so much pain. Like I could tell that like my that I had psychic pain. I could tell that I had mm-hmm. like physical difficulties or, you know, and, and energy level difficulties. And I think connecting to the postpartum experience and of course, raising awareness of, of postpartum mood disorders is something that is important. Mm-hmm. I found that I had an awareness and being checked in and screened for postpartum mood disorders so often because you are like in you are in 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 every appointment, right? Every yeah. healthcare yeah. professional you talk to, yeah. every person, every support person is overtly screening you. Like not even they will ask you direct questions that you know are screening questions. Mm-hmm. Um and I felt a lot of pressure to be okay. And I actually went through big uh. grieving processes in right after uh the birth of both my kids um i actually one of my step siblings passed away after the birth of my eldest and my, oh my another step sibling passed away after the birth of and my close childhood friend after well wow. no what what was pregnant with my second wow. but not after not after his birth and i felt um 
not a pressure from others necessarily, but from within myself Mm. to be like, I'm okay. Can't you tell I'm okay? I'm clearly okay. (laughs) I'm doing all the okay things. And yes, I was obviously in a lot of pain grieving, but it's fine. Can't you tell? (laughs) And that there was some truth to that, right? Like, it's not that I was in total, complete denial. Right, right, right. Necessarily. You were functioning. You were functioning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and there is something to be said for encouraging yourself, so to speak. But as you were mm-hmm. saying, I think there's also, uh, I think me today versus me then, I have a different understanding of how to have a relationship with the grief and how to have a relationship with myself in that and with the people who I've lost within the grief that within the grief is like an opportunity for a new kind of relationship with that person and with with the people that you are connected to um, with that person but that as you're saying through kind of not allowing that or there was the, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There were some other complicating things that also <laughs> that also uh, made the, made things difficult. You know, there's grief and there were there were other difficult circumstances too because that's that's yeah. life. Sure. Um, but that I felt it later, like I had I by not feeling it at the time, feeling that yeah. I didn't have didn't yeah. have time or energy or money or capacity or right. like whatever to to feel that at the time that like I it was like it was like physically feeling it later you know in terms of that like like how you described that it was like a very strong very physical very unavoidable yeah kind of aftershock or after effect and yeah I mean I think I knew about that but just because you know about it doesn't mean you know that that you see it in yourself yeah. or for yourself it took me a while to to figure out that that's what was happening <laughs> yeah and i do think there is a special kind of pressure on you know soon to be mamas um you know when we are pregnant mm-hmm. it's all about what are you doing to take care of the baby what are you doing to take care of the baby what are you doing to prepare for the baby what are you doing to prepare for the birth what are you doing to prepare you know it's like <laughs> Yeah. Uh, prepare uh, your support system yeah yeah and yeah. there's just there's so much focus on what are you doing for the baby um that i i think that the there can be mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on an attention which is warranted but sometimes we we skip over the part about actually how are you doing as a human being just you just you mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and we know you're yeah. attached to this growing human inside you but how are you <laughs> Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think behind. And I think as entrepreneurs and creatives, also there's like, like you know, similar to how uh, you know a new mom doesn't want to. I mean, I, I think there. I think nowadays there's a lot changing in our culture where it's like, yeah. you know, it's okay to say you're tired. It's okay yeah, yeah. to yeah. to you know not really be feeling it on a particular day. Yeah. Or, you know, I think that's that, yeah. that's changing, but uh, especially having been an entrepreneur through some of those some of that um you know like you don't want to be sharing publicly about really difficult emotions and then being like but trust me and buy from me because I'm going to encourage you and (laughs) I'm going to help you and like I'm going to inspire everyone (laughs) right and then like 
there, there, and it, I found it difficult to uh, like to share publicly and almost yeah. for, for not just for that reason, also around like just things I would think differently of now. Like it just it felt difficult to share adjacent to other people also yeah. suffering. Right. And yeah. it felt yeah. there, there are lots of different reasons, um, yeah. you know, or to share. Am I sh- am I grieving fairly for all the people mm. that I have? I didn't I didn't share when I was grieving that person. And so mm-hmm. should I like do I how many memorial posts do you do over as the years <sighs> go by? Like, yeah, am I yeah, forgetting yeah. those people? Anyway, there was yeah. just yeah. Um, and and also as a and as a creative performer too, I think that there's the entrepreneur side of things. And again, that also that culture, people are saying, be authentic, like share what's really going on, build in public. You want to share your struggles. Um, but actually specifically, like when I was talking about tendonitis, so I was having, I, I had too much fun practicing. I could really feel it in my body. I had mm-hmm. this gig coming up and I was like, this would be great to share about, to talk to other people about you know, some of what I could have done to prevent it in hindsight right, right, or that. Right. And I thought to myself, yeah, but I don't want to be at a gig and have people know I suffered to get there who are watching me play and just trying to enjoy themselves. Right. And like, and again, I could have shared, I could have not, I decided to share later about it and not share right, at right. the time. But I think that's part of it, right? Like you go, you know, mm-hmm. the opera singer, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, if you heard an opera singer say that they were like struggling with the part emotionally and that their yeah. voice is like really having a hard time, like I, I, not that it's wrong or right to share that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't yeah, share yeah. about that, but it's going to change how you feel as someone right. who is engaging with that creative work or as someone who is like, you know, the producer or the director or, you know, making it, making it happen. Right. Um, and I, th- I don't know what the answer to this is. What do you think? Because I think it's sort of, you know, has anyone ever told you don't apologize on stage? Oh, uh, well, you haven't said that to me, but I've, yeah, I've known that for a long time. Like people have, yeah, you know, that, and people have said that to you in the past, yeah. not not me, yeah. but like, I remember someone saying that to me when I was young yeah. and it has really stuck with me because yeah. you you can acknowledge that something happened without apologizing but something weird happens when you mm-hmm. actually apologize even mm-hmm. if you acknowledge the same thing yeah there's something that like it's like the audience is open to you and you have a responsibility and if you apologize or like there's certain things that i know rules are made to be broken there may be exceptions to this but in general like it's really served me well to remember that. And I literally had a time when I was young that I train wrecked at an open jam. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just the whole band train wrecked. It happened, right? It was my first open jam. I admired the people there. I wanted it to go so well. And it was just so disappointed. And I held it together and I went to the car and just cried, (laughs) cried, just like, you know, like sobbing over it just because it's, stressful it's also like a physically stressful thing right even if you can mentally explain it but I knew not to apologize from the stage about it or not to not to um kind of bring that energy to the stage anyways why am I talking about this uh oh what do you think like is this in the same category as apologizing from the stage like saying you're struggling preparing for a performance feels like apologizing from the stage to me if I'm doing it like on social media or whatever, it feels like I have to, I can talk about it, but after, what do you think? 
I, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm in the camp right now of, I, there's a lot I don't put out on social media. Um, I don't, first of all, I don't think people actually care. <laughs> Secondly, like I, I'm also always like, the other thing that was ingrained in me is somebody always had it, has it worse, you know? So like, if I complain about having a bad day or, or something like, what do I have to complain about? I'm a middle-class white woman, mm. you know, born in America. Mm. What do I have to complain about? Right. You know, so I'm also sort of like how, mm. how much, how much validity is there to uh, me sharing anything rather than just keeping it and dealing with yeah. it because um, I, you know, and I just had this experience yesterday. So I will share this. I was in a cranky, cruddy mood and I wanted to complain and I wanted to write this angry blog post you know, <laughs> about our music profession and some things that I've seen. And I happened to um, catch, I've found Trevor Noah's new podcast. And so I'm like, oh, I'll listen to that while I'm banging away, you know. And so I'm listening and he's talking to Dwayne Johnson and they're and both complimenting each other and talking about, you know, putting putting light and positivity in the world, not negativity. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I, I'm going to stop what I'm writing. You know, I'm just going to stop because they're exactly right. There's so much that we can put out there that is not encouraging, that is not like it might be the real. It might like I might be having I might be cranky. I might be frustrated about something and I might want to rant about it. But the world doesn't need another rant. Mm. So how can I approach yeah. the same thing, but in a different way to build people up? And it totally changed now the focus of the blog post mm. that I'm writing to say this, you know, I, am I going to share that I was angsty and that I was going to write this in a totally different way? No, I'm not going to share that publicly, although now I just did. Um, but you know, I'm not going to share that as part of the blog post, or I'm not going to share that on socials, um, or I'm not going to mm. share why I was so in a mood. But I think there are times when it's okay after the fact to say, hey, mm -hmm. this was really what was happening behind the scenes. Like, this is what I was going through when this all was happening. That to me is okay. But mm -hmm. I agree with you, like, apologizing from the stage is not really a good look. Mm-hmm. And the same, you know, the same it's, thing with our social media. Also, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting that you talk about the, um, like, what do I have to complain about? And I think a lot about that. And I think that has actually held me back from posting things that would be useful to people. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on the context. Like we're having like a meta sort of conversation. I know. About I, know, the situation. I, know. So I know. I think, I think you sharing there will be, I mean, it was helpful to me. And so I'm sure will be helpful to someone else. Cause you know, I think sometimes we think that we're the only one that has a bad mood sometimes. Not that you think that I think that sometimes yeah. I think, Oh, everyone else is happily working away <laughs> in their yeah. businesses or their creative practice. And yeah. it's just me that's whining and complaining, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. but, um, but specifically, especially with music, it's like, wow, people pay me to do this. Mm -hmm. That is incredible i have yeah. one and i am happy to not sacrifice everything not to you know not not sacrifice in every circumstance but i will i know that the, that there are some positive and negatives and you know some struggles and that especially when it comes to something physical when 
there are people who aren't allowed to sit down at their jobs, even though they could sit down to do their jobs right, because right. of corporate policies that right. don't even make sense, right. like that aren't even necessary, right. you know? Right. It's, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I, I do think twice and I, I think in some cases, though, when something I think about all the times that I've gone down or even if even if I'm not even not a I'm feeling down about this, but I'm feeling perplexed. I'm feeling worried. I'm, you know, feeling anxious. I'm feeling unsure about what to do. I'm feeling maybe a bit like confused. Like, did I even actually hurt myself playing guitar or was it something else I did or was it? You know, and I'm feeling embarrassed that I didn't practice more sooner because that would have meant I was better trained for that moment, you know, that I was stronger, that I was physically more prepared. And so, like, there's also an embarrassment, right, of like, I knew better and I still I knew better to be more aware. I knew better to be more prepared. I knew better to take it easy. And I still, you know, still did that. However, I think man, over so much time I've had, you know, had those experiences. Maybe if I do share it later, like I am now. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll write a blog post about it or something. When it is after the gig, I think it's also a little different because it's a different point in the story. And I can say, Hey, right. The gig went well. (laughs) I didn't have pro I didn't have physical problems there partially because I hurt myself far enough in advance <laughs> that that there wasn't there was it was an ideal preparation but it was some right what did I do that worked that that was uh, you know something that helped me right right etc right what did I do that I could have done differently and so like I may for that particular thing I might unpack that in a blog post yeah. because it's so specific to how I help people but I hear you that it's very it's it's tricky yeah um, and I, and I think and, con- context is important because to share with the audience immediately is one thing um, that's very tricky, but to share after the fact with a group of colleagues who have been there, done that, that's a safer mm-hmm. space, a safer context to share that stuff in because they'll get it, you mm-hmm. know, like I get it because yeah. I've done the same thing, <laughs> you know, uh, where mm-hmm. I, I, I botched a, a duet performance, unfortunately, with a student one year at a recital and, you know, I didn't say anything at the time, because I, I was like, well, I better be able to take my own advice. Cause I tell my students, if something goes wrong in the recital and the, and the wheels come off the train, we just keep on going and we don't worry about it. We all have bad days. Mm-hmm. So I tried to take my own advice. And so I didn't draw attention to it. Didn't get upset about it later on, talked with the student about it. And we agreed. Yeah, that was kind of a train wreck and it happens, you know, um, Later Mm. on, I could go back and reflect with another music friend colleague. Wow, this is why this was all happening. This is what was happening behind the scenes. Mm. And yes, I can cut myself a break in front of the, you know, the audience and my student. But, you know, this is why all this happened. And here's what I can do to prevent it in the future. Maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. life happens. Um, But yeah, I think context is also important. Timing and context, I don't think we talk enough about. And especially in the performing <laughs> world, you know, because because there's a difference between performing and being performative. And there are so many people who are interested in being performative and putting their stuff out there as a performative action. And the, and mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, it doesn't feel quite right to me either. So, mm. I'm, you know, I think it's I think that's a great question that we could spend a whole episode on, actually, and and bring other people into the conversation about 
how much do you really share? Because again, I struggle with that and with that, that idea of authenticity. You were going to say something though, I'll mm -hmm. let you go ahead. I think it has to do as well with our stage demeanor, you know, our stage, our stage presence. Yeah. Um, even even if with a specific apologize, apologizing example, like, and if it's warranted, listeners, if it's really, 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 really warranted, yeah. maybe do it. But if you're doing something on stage that warrants an apology, you might it, it might be something that's worth reflecting on and apologizing later. And that's what I was gonna yeah. say is I would almost uh, I would almost I might like post about something if I really made a mistake I didn't yeah. realize that was offensive to someone or that yeah. I something I hadn't been aware of. Um, but I was going to say that it's also, it's like, how are we curating that experience? Part of it is when we're on stage, but part of it is before and after we're on stage. And part of it is when you're setting up before anyone even gets there. And part of it is, I think nowadays, how you're communicating publicly mm -hmm. leading up to that performance. And you can, when you're talking about timing and context, you can contextualize a performance for people very differently based on how you are you are communicating about it um, online. And I actually I think in this specific case, if it, I think there's times where it makes sense for me to share about preparation. And mm -hmm. I wasn't I was I debated this one. But I did realize that if people realize you are suffering towards a goal that they are the beneficiaries of, they some like it can be a, a bit of a guilt a bit of a I don't know yeah. like there's a difference between like suffering like like I'm practicing and it's <laughs> I don't know practicing isn't totally suffering but you know like yeah it yeah. sure is hard to schedule in this practicing or like yeah. you know this this is taking a lot of time or whatever mm -hmm. um, versus like wow I ended up in pain and worried about my body and I didn't mean to and that was a whoopsie but maybe other people could learn from it but yeah. I realized that and um and actually did talk to someone about it and they were kind of like oh and i thought oh other people would worry about me and they yeah. they would even if they don't feel guilty they have like a sense of is she okay i don't yeah. know and i'm like guys i've dealt with this so many times you, you don't know yeah. you know but yeah. they get for that context it's um it's tricky with socials because yes like i don't know every context that people will be listening to this in or viewing yes. something in um i once had someone indicate that they believe that you one should not or one might choose not to like celebrate too much on socials even because it might be so FOMO inducing to other people mm. that it could be akin to bragging right like where's yeah. the line between celebrating and inspiring other people yeah which I definitely have gotten so much out of other people's celebrations yeah sometimes I don't even comment or engage or like participate in their celebration or yeah. in their story like in their telling of their story and it still like impacts me and inspires me in really real ways and sometimes changes my actions in really real yeah. ways versus like you know this is like again the opposite or the the you know the paradox or con contradiction yeah. right versus when could that be too far and too much and becoming um like deliberately sort of influencer culture style like ingrandizing or like uh uh yeah. misrepresenting reality yeah. <laughs> to other people in a way that is meant to make people feel um you know less than or is, is coming from a coming from a different kind of place coming maybe without um without positive intentions and, and it's so funny because we all have triggers and you never know you know what's going to trigger someone else 
And I love that you bring this up <laughs> because this is not at all part of the podcast, but maybe someone will find this helpful too. Um, because I think what you bring up is, is so important about social media. And I think, you know, everybody goes through this, whether you're creative or not. Uh, I, I had no, this idea of not over celebrating on social media wasn't really a thing to me until my daughter was a senior in high school and she was, she was dealing with so much in terms of her autism spectrum disorders and just, she was struggling in so many ways and with so many layers of stuff that senior year. And there were a couple points in time where I was like, hmm, I think we can get her to graduation, but I'm not really sure she's going to graduate high school. Like there were moments where I was like, we're not really sure because we're not there and I'm not really sure. And so I spent that year watching all these other moms post on Facebook. I'll call out, mm. I'll call out the book of faces for this one, <laughs> uh, posting, you know, all their graduating seniors and all these pictures and, you know, celebrate 10 days of, you know, your senior or whatever. And I'll admit to feeling like, ouch, that hurts mm. because mine might not cross that line. And mm -hmm. that feels hard. That feels hard just mm -hmm. for me as a mom. And I can't, I can't, like, it was hard for me to like those posts and love those posts because mm -hmm. it was like, man, you know, I have my community, I have my tribe, but it's hard. It's hard to see that. And so I never posted anything, you know, for her, even though she graduated, yay, you know, we got her across mm -hmm. the line. It was like by the hair on her chinny chin chin, you know, but like <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and she's fine and it's okay but I'm also now like very sensitive to that like there are so many children that we are not celebrating and so I don't want to I don't want that to be a trigger for someone else and it's like until you go through mm -hmm. it, you don't know you know it's just like unless you've had mm -hmm. um, a miscarriage or a stillborn you don't know how those announcements and congratulations mm -hmm. can trigger someone so it is a hard thing to navigate but at the same time, and, and this gets, I do, I do believe this gets back around to teaching and the creatives, creative world. We have to be working on our emotional IQ and our emotional maturity mm -hmm. so that we are not judging other people for what triggers us. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, I... I am constantly working on my own emotional development, my own emotional well-being, my own mental capacities, my own mental health, so that I am not placing my limitations, my stuff onto what I do as a teacher with my students of any age. And so mm -hmm. I think that while we have to be aware of the social media stuff and it comes into play there, I think it also comes into our classrooms, our music education classrooms. And I think it comes into our private one-on-one -on -one teaching and our private one-on-one -on -one coaching and all of what we do. When we have a, a very small emotional IQ, it shows up because that's where I think we see the rants mm -hmm. or we see, um, we see people get triggered and then make judgment statements too. So that, that's my little sermon mm -hmm. about emotional IQ. Mm hmm. I so much that I appreciate you bringing up there. And I often think in my 
sometimes as a parent as well, but I think I think about this as a parent, especially because of my professional practice, um, how what we share also communicates implicitly what we value. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in the classroom, I noticed that, right? Especially Mm -hmm. um, with how we give feedback, right? And who we celebrate and who we don't celebrate. And if we, I think that there's a tendency in art forms with a performance outcome to celebrate performance outcomes more than other outcomes at times. And so, you know, are we celebrating the ideas and the progress along the way or, you know, the breakthroughs along the way or, I mean, some of what has stuck with me most about children I've worked with is times where sometimes where they shared something with another student about Mm -hmm. where their feedback was so beautiful to another student or where how they described what they felt and imagined and noticed in their body as they were Mm. playing or or yeah and and again that's not to not celebrate performance outcomes right right. Um, but I've noticed it's impacted with my own kids like do I share about something that was competitive because just because my kid wanted to challenge themselves with a competition of some kind doesn't mean I think that that is more valuable than had they not done that it's up to debate and I don't necessarily think that that is what like all kids need to strive for or whatever I think there can be a lot of actual problems with it and like actual downsides as well as there being some upsides so I think and again this is not like judging like whether other people do or don't share you know um but I found I have an idea of what sits well with me yeah. And and what doesn't. And uh, when I had students that, say, did a competition, especially if they're uh, when I was teaching young students, sharing about adults and celebrating adults online, I treat a little differently. Yeah. Um, but I sometimes wouldn't publicly celebrate that student because who am I celebrating them for? And again, this is not to throw shade towards other teachers. Mm-hmm. There are like it's context and timing. Like it's, it, yep. it's part yep. of a much bigger yep. whole. But I was very conscious of elevating a student who had chosen to compete above students who hadn't chosen to compete because there are lots of reasons for that initial choice. And then elevating a student who like achieved a particular rank or mark or result in that competition um, because it's not necessarily reflective of even who's putting in effort or who like, you know, who's deserving. It's not always so clear. And so I've been been very conscious in 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 terms of and I'm sure there's times where you know where I have to where I either compromise or I slip up or I may or I may contradict that but it's um as you were saying both not being triggered or not 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 being offended just because I feel a certain way not making that for everyone right but also kind of being clear with myself about you know as much as I can be share and what do I not want to share and what is implicit in that in what I'm sharing or in in the way that I'm sharing it Hmm. I loved this conversation thank you for tuning into part one I hope that you will check out part two which is where we get to hear Lauren's top five encouraging songs which are so fascinating and we have such wonderful conversation around 
the music that she chose as well. And as a bonus, we get to hear Lauren read one of the poems from her new book, Just Leaves. So I hope you'll join us for part two. Thank you for listening. Please click on the show notes to learn more about my guest and to listen to their top songs of encouragement. If you have found value in these podcasts, please share the podcast with those you know, leave a positive review, or support the show at buymeacoffee.com. Sounds of Encouragement is a podcast production of Music Grow LLC, part of growing musicians and teachers everywhere. Sounds of Encouragement is hosted, produced, and edited by Melissa Slocum. To get in touch, contact soundofencouragement at gmail.com. You can also find Sounds of Encouragement on Clubhouse. Drop in weekly for a dose of personal encouragement. Theme music by Melissa Slocum and Steve Tressler. Music mixed and mastered by Steve Tressler. Thank you to Steve Tressler and Christina Lopriori who encouraged me to do this in the first place. And remember, I'm here for you so you can be there for those who need you the most.